and welcome to episode 604 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm talking about, of course, Monster Kid Radio. You know what it is. You wouldn't be listening to this unless you knew what it was. You have to look up Monster Kid Radio to find me. And I'm glad you did because I've got a pretty fun show lined up this week. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. Got some announcements to make, some plans that are coming together, some things I want to tell you about. Before we get into this week's topic, this week's discussion, first of all, I want to thank everybody who has reached out to me by email regarding uh, my fiance being part of the show and incorporating Beth into the proceedings. So there's no Beth this week. This week, uh, she is taking a week off from things and she's got some of her own projects she's working on. But every time somebody sends me a message saying Beth's a great addition to the show, they appreciate her input, her insight, whatever. I always send that to her, and I will continue to do that anytime somebody has anything, well, I was going to say nice to say about my fiancé, but, you know, that sounded like I was challenging you to say something not nice, and I don't want to hear that. But anyway, uh, thank you for all of that. Also, I have some other emails that I'm going to go over in a future episode. I'm going to sit on those. If you have any emails or feedback or voicemails or anything you want to share about the show, I'd love to incorporate that in a future episode. Please consider writing in to me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or call and leave a voicemail at 360-524-2484. I'll go over that again at the end of the show. I do want to start doing more feedback here on the show. I feel like that's something that we don't have a lot of, and I'm not sure why that is it just kind of is but i would love to do more feedback on the show but i can only do that if i have you sending me the feedback so please consider starting up some conversations with us via feedback that would be amazing now one thing that i do want to mention briefly because it's not monster specific technically i do want to let you know about an upcoming event that is happening in the portland oregon area i'm talking about fan expo this is the comic book convention formerly known as Wizard World, and I'm really excited to be going. Yes, I've been sick and everything, and I don't want to dwell on all that, and I will be taking all the appropriate precautions, and I do know that the convention takes health and safety very seriously as well, but here's my experience, my history with Wizard World and Fan Expo Portland. Uh, This is a a nationwide thing. These turn up in various parts of the country. It's not Portland-specific, but it is something that's happened in Portland for a while now, and I've always enjoyed going. Sometimes I would go to be a panelist. Sometimes I would go with my friend Tom Doffel. Sometimes I would go to support my friend Sean Hode, an author that would a lot of times appear at these conventions. Sean, don't know if you're listening, but you are. You know, I'm thinking about your man. I know um, you've got your things going on. So anyway, I'm excited about Fan Expo. And before everything shut down because of the pandemic a few years ago, I was said to be part of the show. I had submitted some panels to them and they accepted. We were going to do a live MKR and maybe some of the live stuff as well. It was just going to be a good time. And then everything shut down because of the pandemic. Well, I got reached out to last year by somebody who was working at Fan Expo saying, you know, we're bringing it back. You were a panelist before. You were scheduled to be a panelist again. Would you like to be a panelist coming up? And I thought, heck yeah, I would. So I submitted some panels. Looks like we are going to be doing a live recording of Monster Kid Radio with some familiar voices you've heard in the past. Going to be on the show with us for that as well. But I'm super stoked because I decided to finally, finally, sit down and throw some words down 
on something that I've been wanting to write for a very, very, very long time, for at least the past 15 years, if not longer, I'm going to be launching a book. I'm going to be launching a superhero novel, book one, in what I'm calling the six-week rotation series. going to be a ton of books if everything goes my way and, and I can make it happen. That's the plan. A whole bunch of books, all set in a shared original superhero universe. These are superheroes uh, of my design, rare exception. I don't think you're going to see any of the ones that were created by people like Mike Marisitz, who is a partner of mine until a later book. But bottom line is I'm super, super excited to be launching on the back burner, Solemn Judgment, number one, the superhero novel set in the six-week rotation superhero universe i suppose you could call it i really need to figure out the best way to say that so it rolls off my tongue a little more smoothly but i'm really excited because i'm going to be part of author's alley this year at fan expo here in portland oregon I'm going to be launching my book there will be copies of the book available for sale there now what i'll be selling there is a convention exclusive with a very specific cover designed by myself and joseph schultz friend of the show joe helped me design and tweak and refine the book cover for this convention exclusive. Now, if I have any copies of the book available for sale after the convention, then we can talk about getting one of those out to you. But in the short term, the only way you get your hands on a copy of this book, this novel, on the back burner, Solemn Judgment Number 1, will be if you attend Fan Expo in February. It's happening the 3rd weekend of February. I'm going to be in Author's Alley. Like I said, I'm super excited about this. It's happening in Portland, Oregon. Let's see. Let me get you the exact dates. February 17th through the 19th in the Oregon Convention Center. I I, I don't know what else to tell you other than I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm excited to see this particular writing project happen. It's something, like I said, I've been wanting to do for over 15 years, if not longer. So to actually throw those superhero words down, just, it, it fills me with so much happiness and joy and satisfaction. And, lest you think I'm leaving the monsters behind, I'm not. Solemn Judgment, as a series of superhero novels, is a supernatural superhero storyline. It's a series, it's a team of supernaturally gifted superheroes fighting supernatural evil. There's demons, there's magic, there's Egyptology, there's all sorts of weird, wonky, magical stuff happening in this. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm excited. And I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to kind of gush a little bit about it here. Yeah, there's gonna be other celebrity guests at Fan Expo. Ron Perlman will be there. Katie Sackhoff, Sam Raimi will be there, Brent Spiner, Anson Mount, William Shatner, Brent Spiner, do I already say his name? I think Jonathan Frakes is lined up to be there as well. There's a Back to the Future uh, reunion happening, Bruce Campbell will be there. A whole bunch of folks are going to be there. Granted, I'm going to be there too, and no, I don't appear on the same part of the website as they do. When it comes to the guests, you have to look me up in Author Alley, but I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes, or you can go straight to fanexpohq.com slash fanexpoportland or just look up Fan Expo online, look for the Portland event or follow the link in the show notes. I'm not the only author that's going to be there and I'm not the only podcaster that's going to be there as well. 
It looks like that S.A. Bradley, who is a fellow Rondo Award-nominated podcaster, is going to be there as well as part of Authors Alley. He's promoting some of his books, which will be pretty cool. I'll be doing some panels, like I said, a live Monster Kid radio panel, and then some writing-style panels as well that I'll probably record for my Monster Kid writer, social media, projects, websites, YouTube channels, whatever. But if you're going to be out there, I'd love to meet you. I'd love to say hi. We can talk monster movies. We can talk superhero novels. We can talk about whatever. But I'd love to meet you. And Beth has agreed to be my booth, babe. Which, now that I say that out loud, I don't know if I'm comfortable saying that. Um, that sounds a little uh, demeaning, but uh, my fiance is babe and she'll be on my booth, so, you know. Anyway. Why don't we talk about what's happening? <laughs> Let's talk about this week on the show. Let's get back to Monster Kid Radio business. I announced this on Facebook as soon as I lined it up. Robert Kelly from Record All Monsters is joining me this week to talk about a Mario Bava film. I don't talk about Mario Bava films as often as I should here on the show. The man, Jesse's an artist. The work that he is able to put on screen with nothing other than lights and color is amazing. And I cannot wait for you to hear the conversation that I had with Robert Kelly about the 1965 film Planet of the Vampires. I have a very, I don't know, weird history with this movie, how I avoided it for some reason or other for way too long. I'm just really excited to share that conversation with you. It just happened the other day with Robert. I appreciate him taking time out of his busy life and his own productions uh, going on over there at Record All Monsters to talk with me about Planet of the Vampires. It's a raw recording, meaning I'm not editing it. Uh, you're just getting it as it was. Because one of my favorite things that happens here on Monster Kid Radio is when I start talking to people about monster movies, the more I talk to them, the more we become friends, right? We just become friends. We find common interests beyond the monster movies. And we have some real camaraderie that happens. You know, I think you hear it whenever I talk to anybody here on the show. Robert's one of those guys where, and I say this during the recording, and I think I've said it in previous recordings with him as well, if he and I lived anywhere near each other, nothing would get done. There'd be no Monster Kid Radio, there'd no, be no Record All Monsters, there'd be no Solemn Judgment books or Mark Temple stories or any of the stuff that he's working on, because he and I would get together and just watch monster movies together, maybe talk about it, but wouldn't even bother pulling out the recorder because we're just a couple of dudes who love monster movies and retro media. The conversation we have about Planet of the Vampires, it does stray. It does kind of wander all over the place because that's what happens when you get a couple of monster kids talking about their favorite topic. And Robert even convinced me to bring a feature back to this episode of Monster Kid Radio. It wasn't planned. I don't know if he meant to ambush me with it. I'm glad he did because I had a grand time playing a round of the... I'm just going to make you wait until you hear it in the episode, which we're going to get to the rest of here in a second. Of course, we've got Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule Review, and Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Let's roll into those, and we'll get to Robert and Planet of the Vampires all right after this. Here he is. Watch out, for here is a superhuman with the strength of a hundred men. and nothing seems able to stop him. 
Invincible. Invulnerable. Argo Man. The fantastic Superman. But even he had his Achilles heel. A beautiful woman's kiss. Kill each other. Kill each other. Argo Man, the fantastic Superman. Kill each other. A man gifted with such extraordinary powers that ordinary men were helpless to cope with him. Everyone and everything was pitted against him. From hired killers to the most diabolical inventions of modern science. The world's most beautiful women vied for his favors, or the chance to kill him. each other. Argo Man, the fantastic Superman. which will take you on a journey out of time, carry you on a crest of thrills and laughter from start to finish. Be sure to see this Superman power. Don't miss it. Any die, man. Well, Dr. Pepper signed the certificate natural causes, but I should have thought from the look of the poor fellow that he died of fright. This is a frightened village. Here, it is wiser to close your ears to a scream in the night. In this place, even familiar things take on an odd and terrifying significance. A funeral moves under the cloak of night. But no one inquires who has died, nor why the corpses are dispatched with such desperate haste. Starring Peter Cushing as the parson who knew every secret of the night creatures. Yvonne Romaine and Oliver Reed as two young people who loved in the shadow of terror.
I've always been respectful to you, haven't I? But I've had to keep my real feelings to myself until now. Patrick Allen as the courageous Captain Collier who sailed the seven seas in search of danger and found it in The Night Creatures. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. A businessman named Sato stumbles home after a long night of drinking. The last thing his inebriated mind expects is to be greeted by his family with the words, who are you? But that's precisely what happens as the 47th episode of Ultra 7 begins. It's not only Sato's family with amnesia, no one in their entire apartment building recognizes him. His despair turns to panic when he sees alien life forms lurking about and he quickly calls the Ultra Guard on a public phone. Before his call can be dismissed, Dan hears something in the background, a signal that they had already been searching for in the apartment's vicinity. Dan and Furuhashi are deployed to investigate, and they locate Sato's wife, who positively identifies her husband on the recording of the call. But then she drops the bombshell that Sato never came home that night, and his whereabouts are unknown. The Ultra Guardsmen conduct a nighttime sweep of the building, and moments after they observe the buildings rearranging themselves, they are attacked by a growing swarm of aliens. Escaping their assailants, they discover Sato's real apartment building deep in an underground cavern, and they discover Sato being held in a container. Before they can get him to safety, more alien shapeshifters appear, revealing both their ability to look exactly like everyone in Sato's building and their intentions to overthrow planet Earth. When Sato and Furuhashi are flash frozen, only Dan's ability to become Ultra 7 can save the day. Who Are You is the final standalone episode of Ultra 7, and as such, it exemplifies the many things the series did so well. Location shooting was a staple of Ultra 7, which grounded the stories in the real world. And here in episode 47, it's the world of the concrete urban housing complex that provides the setting and context for a story about being forgotten in a sea of familiar faces. The highlight of episode 47, at least for many Ultraman fans, is the guest starring appearance of Akiji Kobayashi as Sato. Kobayashi is remembered fondly as Captain Toshio Muramatsu of the Science Special Search Party, becoming the standard by which all captains would be measured in succeeding series. Here, Kobayashi shows great range conveying drunkenness, desperation, and bumbling charm to such a degree that viewers could be forgiven for not realizing he's the same actor who imbued Captain Muramatsu with such dignity and confidence. Kobayashi enjoyed a long, steady career appearing in many Ultraman and Kamen Rider series, 12 feature films by director Kon Ichikawa, 
and Heisei-era kaiju movies like Godzilla and Mothra, The Battle for Earth, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, and Gamera 2, Attack of Legion. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. worshipped a terrifying goddess. To her, men offered their strength and their devotion. Women offered the beauty of their bodies. <laughs> Al-Tiki, the immortal monster. Today, courageous adventurers, dedicated scientists of both sexes, begin the exploration of recently discovered caverns buried in the very womb of the earth. <laughs> From space beyond space comes force beyond measurement, energizing this monstrous mass of man-eating protoplasm that devours every living thing it touches. When her mate appears in the sky, the power of Kaltiki will destroy the world. You can believe what you like. Kaltiki's been reborn. Anything on this earth, stop Kaltiki, the immortal monster. Not since Dracula stalked the earth has the world known so terrifying a day or night. It's I who renounce you. And in the name of Satan, I place a curse upon you. Black Sunday is like no motion picture you've ever seen. There are those who believe and those who do not. But both must know the suspense, the shock of meeting the living dead and of bringing the dead to life. Look into my eyes. Embrace me. You will die. But I can bring you pleasures mortals cannot know. Sunday, the most terrifying motion picture you'll ever see. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today we are talking about Planet of the Vampires, which was never covered in FM. I did find a brief paragraph on its Italian director, Mario Bava, which was published in FM 170 from January of 1981 at the time of Mr. Bava's passing. 
Here is what it had to say. Italy's foremost figure in horror and science fiction died at 66. Mario Bava suffered a fatal heart attack in Rome on 27th of April, 1980, cutting short an illustrious career of eight lustrums in films as a cameraman, cinematographer, screenwriter, and director. Bava made his debut as a director in 1960 with the classic tale of witchcraft, Black Sunday, which made a horror star of British actress Barbara Steele. In the 20 years following, Bava made dozens of science fiction and horror-oriented films, some under pseudonyms such as John M. Olds, Mickey Lyon, and John Foam. His last film work was in 1979 as a special effects director for Dario Gentile's latest film, Inferno. This obituary is followed by a partial filmography, which includes amongst its gladiator, giallo, and spaghetti westerns, these monster kid favorites. Kaltiki, the immortal monster. Black Sunday, which was given film book coverage in FM 166 and 167. Black Sabbath. Today's film, Planet of the Vampires. And 1972's Barren Blood, which earned a full-length article in FM 97. The strangest film on the list? Baby Kong, an unmanned concept to capitalize on the success of the 1977 King Kong. Only a concept drawing survives. Look for it on the net. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying, Ciao, bambino. This is the night when fear and horror walk hand in hand. This is Black Sabbath. Starring the incomparable Boris Karloff, the personable Mark Damon, and lush and lovely women. Even though one is from the netherworld, a vampire, a burdelac. Black Sabbath, as ancient as superstition, as modern as the telephone. How nice you look with that towel around you. You always did have a beautiful body. Beautiful. A body to drive someone crazy. Who are you? Black Sabbath. The bare truth about the unbelievable such as the brilliant beauty of a priceless jewel that holds within the body of a buzzing fly a vengeful woman's murderous spirit. <coughs> Only on the seventh night of the seventh full moon can the living see the lifeless undead. I am hungry. Is he man? An adventure into black magic that goes beyond the boundaries of the supernatural. And a man's devoted love is welcomed by a woman's deadly lust for his blood. Let me taste sweet revenge. Please.
dank walls. A nightmare world of horror. And butchery awaits. As a rotting corpse crawls from the earth to terrify the living. No! Beware of barren blood. I would not play with the occult if I were you. One's obsession with it could be the real danger. Barren blood. He earned his name through torture and death. The screams of his victims still echo in his chamber of horrors. The Baron's will not only dominated this castle, but all the valley below. The people were necessary only for his convenience. It was the Baron, and both your lives are in danger. You will try again. Barren blood. He returns to avenge a witch's curse and reclaim his empire of evil. Unleash the monster on the world. You must try to send him back. No! Joseph Cotton and Elke Summer. Ah! Beware of barren blood. I am Dracula, and I bid you welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. And I offer you this warning. Sometimes Derek and his guests get excited and they may spoil a movie or two. You know how excited Monster Kids can get sometimes. If Monster Kid Radio spoils a movie for you, do not come whining to me. I cannot stand whines. You know, I wanted to come up with some sort of clever intro, like I was on the Argus trying to reach out for assistance with an SOS or something. But really, I've just got my friend Robert Kelly from Record All Monsters on the line with me. So let's just roll with that. Welcome back to the show, man. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And uh, I was going to go along with that. I was I was prepared. I was, you know, that little, ah. that little window with the handprints that's definitely a screen uh, to the other <laughs> ship. That was awesome, though. I was... <laughs> love this movie so much. But, you know, I want to get into the movie. I'm excited because, well, there's a couple of different reasons, and I'll, I'll share those with you here in a moment. But it's also been a while since I've chatted with you. Yes. What's going on with you and, and Record All Monsters and, and everything else that you want to talk about? Well, uh, Record All Monsters is is trucking along slowly. We're, we're still around. Uh, we've had to, due to some family emergency type things, take it's had to take a back seat. But we did put out uh, in November an episode uh, that I'm very passionate about on Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, which was my first Godzilla movie. It's what started it all for me. And then we did a Christmas holiday special on Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, ostensibly. I loved that. I loved that. It was <laughs> so fun. Ostensibly because of the abominable snowman, 
but we all know the real monster in the Rankin Bass Rudolph is that iteration of Santa. Uh, <laughs> so that's what's going on there. Uh, we have two more planned episodes to come out uh, before we wrap up season two, Terror of Mecha Godzilla. Um, which that has been gestating so long that we have had three different guests line up and then drop out. <laughs> oh no. Uh, it's like, Hey, are we doing that first? Uh, we were supposed to record that in September with, uh, with, uh, some, uh, someone we've had on before. <laughs> you don't want to throw anybody under the bus. So yeah. No. yeah. And it's not their fault. I mean, I, I have not had my, uh, my stuff together. Um, it's all my fault. Uh, no, we, you know what? Okay. I'm not to interrupt you, but I'm going to interrupt you here. Um, we were talking before we did all this listeners. Y'all understand you've been incredibly patient with me with all my personal stuff. And I'm not going to bring up all of Robert's personal stuff, but real life gets in the way, man. Yeah. And I think the, the listeners and our fans and our friends understand. So don't beat yourself up about it. Any creatives out there, don't beat yourself up about it. If life gets in the way, life gets in the way. I'll, I'll, I'll accept that from you. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and then after that, we're going to have, uh, to wrap up the season, our, uh, I was, it was annual in my title, but now it's going to have to be, uh, seasonal, uh, our record all monsters award show and ceremony or Rammies for short. Nice. Um, you, you, I had you on as a presenter last time, mm-hmm. uh, and I was hoping you'd do it again, not to, to put you on the spot on air. I would be honored. Wonderful. I'll commit to that on air to hold myself to it. <laughs> so uh, once once I get the Terror of Mechagodzilla episode out, uh, I'm going to be putting that together, and the voting uh, for that will go live then. Okay. Well, keep me posted, uh, you know, for how I need to be involved, as well as when the episode happens, because, you know, we like to promote the good ones, man, and you're one of the good ones, you know? Oh, thank you. So yeah, happy to, happy to be part of it. I, I have loved what you've done with your show. Uh, and I, you know, I make no, um, excuses for my, for my love of what you do. And, uh, I've, I've been a supporter of what you've done from the very beginning. So I just love that it's still around. I'm loving that you're still finding a way to make it happen despite everything that's going on in your life. And, uh, I'm always honored to be involved. So thank you. Well, thank you, Derek. I really appreciate that. Uh, especially coming from you and, uh, Feel free to cut this out. I think we do this every time one of us is on the other show. Um, you you were one of the the inspirations for Record All Monsters. <laughs> uh, uh, when I when I heard MKR like however long ago looking for stuff about El Santo on my pod podcast feed, you know, so means a lot. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I appreciate. That. I'm happy to. Happy to help spread the love of, of these weird little movies that, you know, it seems like as more time goes by, fewer and fewer people even know about, let alone respect or enjoy the way that we do. And uh, yeah. I know you love me. I know you love a good Luchador film. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> so do I, I love a bad no, one, we're not too. not talking Luchadors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? They're, they're fun. I, I, I subscribe to, um, I think Kenny puts it best that, you know, if the movie entertains you, no matter how it does it, it's not a bad movie. Oh yeah. Really bad movie is a movie that's gonna bore you. And I have yet to watch a Luchador movie that bores me. Never. <laughs> there, there there is one movie. There is one movie that I could say truly bores me. Um 
that I get nothing out of. It may or may not be called Fun in Balloon Land. Um, <laughs> you know, but other than that, I, you know, I try to be positive and talk about how much we love these films, as silly or ridiculous as some of them are. And there is some silly, ridiculous stuff in the movie we're going to talk about, but there's so much cool stuff, too. Oh, there's so much cool stuff. So much cool stuff. So we're talking about Planet of the Vampires. I'm not going to try the Italian pronunciation. I know I will get it wrong. Um, but uh, it is a Mario Bava film. It was produced in Italy. He's an Italian. It's not an Italian name. But we know it as Planet of the Vampires. Terrore and nello spazio. There you go. There you go. The real reason why I have Robert on the show. <laughs> He can he can pronounce the languages that I cannot, which is pretty much other, everything other than English. So every once in a while, I can maybe work out a little bit of Klingon, but very rarely. And not now, I'm recovering from a sickness. So, <laughs> but we wanted to have Robert on the show, and you know, he reached out. It's like you know, I'm available. Like, cool. What do you want to talk about? He gave me a list of Blu-ray titles that he just recently got his hands on. This was on the list, and I was like, you know what? I keep meaning to talk about Planet of the Vampires on the show. In fact. I went to double check to make sure I hadn't because I thought maybe I had already. Not that it matters at this point. Over 600 episodes, I'm bound to do some repeats. <laughs> but it looks like I hadn't really talked about it on the show. And I think I probably even have suggested it to various people over the years or people have come to me and said, I want to talk about it. I just never made it happen. You know what? It'll wind up just right this time around. Plan on the Vampires. Robert brought it up. He jumped at it as soon as I recommended it. And uh, yeah, here we are. I want to know about your history with the film, though. Like, why did you pick it up on Blu-ray? Do you have a long love for this movie? What, what's your history with it? This is actually a really recent watch for me. Ah, huh? okay. Um, I watched it for the first time uh, maybe two or three years ago um, on a bootleg. And, um, or should I say, I watched it two or three years ago on a uh, a gray market release. How do I <laughs> say this without incriminating myself? Um, I, I think we are all quite familiar. <laughs> yeah, I, I think a lot of us even have those in our collection. So, uh, yeah. Well, because it, Kino Lorber had released it maybe five, ten years ago. <laughs> and that was nowhere to be found. Uh, so that was the only way I could see it. And what had happened was my wife loves the Alien movie franchise. Uh, okay. And I... I have a history with Italian genre movies, and this was a big blind spot in it. And I was like, "Hey, this is something uh, I can only." I love the Alien movies as well, but I can only watch Prometheus so many times in a year. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, "This this should be something that would scratch both of our our uh, our urges in regards to space movies." And uh, so I picked up the first copy I could find, and it wasn't such a bad in such bad condition. I didn't make her watch it like that because that would probably poison her against it. Uh, but I liked it, and so when Kino Lorber re-released the Blu-ray this year, I, I snatched it up, and it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It looks incredible. That or the transfer they have is really good. Now, I didn't really explore much on the special features. I can't remember. Does Kino Lorber have some good features on there? They uh, not. They have two commentaries, uh, and I've only listened to one of them, and I don't remember who it was with, and I don't have the disc with me to tell you which one. 
Okay. But uh, it was enjoyable. It was enjoyable. Uh, I got some, some neat info. And that's really, with Kino Lorber, that's generally going to be their big special feature is a commentary. True. So I didn't watch any of that. I just did the movie. Um, in fact, I just finished watching the movie about half an hour ago. Because <laughs> um, I just wanted it to be fresh. You know, it's something that I'd seen repeatedly ever since the first time I skipped an opportunity to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, my history with this movie is a little different in that I was kind of aware of it, but I didn't care. In that, <laughs> I didn't have the connection to Bava or the interest in Bava that I have now. Uh-huh. Also, um, those of you who have read the screenwriting book Save the Cat or are familiar with that might be familiar with a term that he uses called double mumbo jumbo. Now, I hadn't read, you know, Save the Cat wasn't even a thing the first time I had a chance to see Space of the Vampire, or excuse me, Planet of the Vampires. Um, but to paraphrase his theory, his philosophy about double mumbo jumbo, it's, it's kind of a red flag in movies for him. Screenplays try to avoid this. Uh, basically, when you have two different conflicting super things happening, uh, his example, which is a little ropey to begin with, to be honest, is the movie Spider-Man, uh, the, the Toby McGuire <laughs> Spider-Man films that you have this guy, Spider-Man, who is bit by a radioactive spider, and there's your mum. That's the mumbo-jumbo of the movie. But then you've got this guy who turned himself into a green goblin through some <laughs> other processes, and that's a different kind of mumbo-jumbo. And now you've got these two mumbo-jumbos, this double mumbo-jumbo, that conflict with each other. Now, I think he was not really taking into consideration this is all comic book stuff, and yes. that's common there, but the bottom line is I saw Planet of the Vampires vampires, outer space, they don't mix. That's not a Reese's peanut butter cup I'm interested in. Those are two different things. I don't want to mix them. I don't care. In fact, there used to be a film festival in the Portland area called Zompire, which was run by the guy who originally started the Lovecraft Film Festival. Yeah. First night was Zombie zombie (laughs) movies. Second night was vampire movies or the other way around. Uh, it was through that that I got a, got to see the original Day of the Dead on the big screen for the first time, and it was amazing. Uh-huh. But he brought in Planet of the Vampires for Vampire Night. And I was like, ah, uh, whatever. You know, Vampires Outer Space, I, it's not my thing. I, I just You don't mix those two, whatever, I don't want to watch it. So I skipped it, like an idiot. <laughs> because when I finally saw this movie, I was blown away and realized I had made a horrible mistake. I had an opportunity to see this. Film print, 35 millimeter on oh, the big screen at the God. Hollywood Theater. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm only every day of the dead. Which, you know, great film, but come on. Derek, what are you thinking? Uh, so I've watched this movie several times since then. And I've gotten over the double mumbo jumbo of it because there's no vampires. No. It's something totally different. Vampires, you know, Planet of Vampires was an AIP title thrown on it. Uh, I think I prefer things like Demon Planet or Planet, what's it? Terror Planet or something like that uh, was ter- the other Terror title. in Space. Terror in Space, which is vague, but, you know, just as fine. Terror but now I, I love this yet. movie now. Uh, I watch this movie now, and I'm like, wow, this is great. It's it's one for me that I can throw on, or no, I, I can't throw on when I'm, like, doing the dishes or something, because I will, it will take my attention. <laughs> I will yeah. stop, and I'll just be like, I know what's happening, but... Uh, 
kind of fun. like there are so many pieces of other movies both before and yes. after this one that it's almost like watching uh it's almost like watching a mystery science theater and trying to catch all the references but but in a in a non-jokey kind yes, of way yes in, in a very earnest way yeah it's just, it's an easter egg hunt yeah um this this last time i watched it which also today when i got off work uh <laughs> it um for was giving me big forbidden planet uh yes which i didn't any of the past couple times i've watched it i wasn't making that connection um but this time i did i i would i'm going to side with you on that one because i i hadn't thought about it either everybody talks about this one being an influence on alien Mm-hmm. I mean, you even alluded to it a second ago when you were talking about Alien. Everybody had talks about that. But I think this movie is an influence on a lot more than that and takes a few influences from other things as well. Um, I've been thinking a lot about Forbidden Planet because, and if I can plug something real quick, I'm going to be a guest and a panelist at the upcoming Fan Expo Portland in mid-February, a convention here oh. uh, that's happening. Uh, formerly Wizard World is now Fan Expo. Uh, I'm going to be a panelist there, and we're going to be doing a live recording of Monster Kid Radio. Oh, cool. Called, and the episode, the panel will be called Classic Monster Movies for Modern Audiences. And I've done something similar over the years at various conventions and festivals in the area. But I've also thought that I need to change it up and not just kind of pull out the same titles over and over again. And I thought Forbidden Planet would be a good movie to talk about. Because it's so Star Trekky, and hurt. Star Trek is starting to get big again. It's like, well, there you go. There's your connection. Let's talk about it. So I've been thinking about Forbidden Planet a lot, and then I start watching this. I'm like, oh, Forbidden Planet. Maybe oh, yeah. I should mention this movie. <laughs> this, and I think I probably will now that I've kind of <laughs> processed this out loud. Spoiler alert for anybody who might be coming to Fan Expo. It's not just me, so you know I didn't just ruin the panel for you, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, super excited about Fan Expo, by the way, and I'll talk about that later in the episode, or maybe I already did, depending. But anyway, yes, Forbidden Planet, very cool. Uh, that so that was what I was getting off of it this time. Uh, and I, I always the, the spacesuits always jump up at me. Uh, the early two thousands X Men movies basically took yeah. the spacesuits from this. Um, that makes sense. I can see that. It's just every every time I watch it, I feel like there's something different that's jumping out at me. Movies past and present uh, for it. Like the spacesuits are great. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. Uh, the, <laughs> the there is we were talking or, or you said earlier that there was a uh, there were some silly things, some goofy things. Sure. And one of my favorite ones. Which is also genuinely eerie, and I think a lot of, part of the thing that attracts me to uh, Italian and European horror from like this period is it's uh, it it has no sense of where the line between spooky and goofy is, <laughs> and it doesn't it doesn't care how often or which way it crosses it. Okay, and so for me, it's the scene where. Uh, the first crew members who who died. Um, spoilers, I guess, for thirty minutes into the movie, uh, 
the first crew members who died come out of their their space grave and they're in these like clear body bags uh-huh and it's in slow motion so the first part where they're pushing like the uh the metal plate that's sealing their grave off in these ba- plastic bags is pretty goofy pretty funny makes me laugh but then when they're like coming out of actually coming out of the grave in that slow motion it's like oh Okay, now I'm now I'm a little I'm a little spooked. <laughs> Not much, but it's setting the tone. Yeah. I I did think that was a little and you know, you think about that sequence actually, let me kind of back up on myself there. How many deaths were they expecting? when they all got on that ship and went into outer space, because there's a lot of grave material available to them, like the, those tombs that they make. Yeah. They seem to have no problem. Like, oh, we got to pull out another one of our metal coffins out of storage. They had a lot, is what I'm saying. They I, were expecting a high fatality. <laughs> I I imagine in a, in a case like that, you'd probably get one for every crew member. Uh, <laughs> but then who would bury the last guy? Just in case. Right. Um... They had a lot of, and where did they keep it? They're, the the set designs are beautiful and eerie, oh. but there's no storage space anywhere. Uh, Which is weird because they're so big. Yeah, the the sets are huge. They used every bit of whatever soundstage they had, but they didn't fill it with anything. No, and it's it's so striking because what yeah what they really fill it with is color. Or the lack thereof. Like, uh-huh. I, Mario Bava, um, he's one of my favorite filmmakers. There are movies of his that I dislike the, the movie, the story that's happening, but it's so much fun just to look at. Uh, yeah. And so when you have a compelling movie, that's also gorgeous. He lighting the way he uses lighting and the way he influenced others uh, to use the lighting. Like I, there was a scene I zoned out on the dialogue this watch through, and I had to rewind it because they said something I missed. Um, they're talking on the ship in this archway, <laughs> and the archway is lit. Uh, like red and blue on one side and they cross over without the uh, without the mixed color without purple coming through and it's just one why two how and it's just gorgeous yeah it's just gorgeous to look at I I think he would be okay with me saying this and he'd agree you talk about all the influences this movie has had. I'd say it even even to this day, friend of the show, Joshua Kennedy's movies, have this amazing, especially things like House of the Gorgon. Uh-huh. So obviously Bava-esque lighting and color yeah. in, in the cinematography. It's gorgeous. And to see that near-Gothic color scheming Put into a science fiction setting. Yes. The Dumble Mumbo Jumbo of it. <laughs> you know, I loved it. It is so 
beautiful and oh it's so good it is so good well, and i think this this is an early one for him for baba i can't what is it like his i think it's an early one i'm not as familiar as i should be with baba's filmography oh no he's he'd done a whole bunch by now uh Like he he'd done Black Sunday and Black Sabbath already. Um but like Black Sunday is the one that comes to mind because that has almost a haunted house feel, even though it's not a haunted house story. Right. But in the way the uh the tombs and catacombs and that are are treated and shot. And I think he brings that same thing to the spaceships in this to their interiors which is really effective in keeping you on edge because that's supposed to be where you're safe <laughs> yeah and it's this you know frightening cathedral of unnatural light you know you say that and it, oh god I'm gonna add another movie to the list so Obviously, inspiration for, for Alien is there. Um, Dan O'Bannon even has gone on record a few times as saying yeah. that, you know, like the space jockey scene is directly influenced by oh, yeah. a scene in this film. Uh, but I would go as far as saying um, Carpenter has pulled some inspiration from this. Uh, there's, I, I, I detected a lot of the thing in this. Yes. In terms of the, the bodies whopping or hopping or who's really who they say they are that sort of thing but I'd even say something not one of my favorite Carpenter films like Ghosts of Mars as well yes in terms yes. of some of that theming I pull I can pull from that and then you start talking about the Cathedral of Light and I'm thinking well there, this is not Carpenter but Event Horizon has a very cathedral like vibe as well I mean even based some of it on you know Notre Dame right. the set design right. so I can see some of that as well uh, this movie I think has a lot to offer and I've never spoken with him, but I'm sure Carpenter would be like, yeah, I watched Baba. <laughs> well, it's when when you brought up Carpenter, the first thing I thought of was uh, the finale of The Fog. Oh, yeah. I feel like that's very, uh, very inspired. It's inspired a lot by, you know, like Lucci, oh, Fulci stuff in the 70s. But also I can definitely see with the way the light works and this this invasion this unseen invasion becoming visible in that finale like, yeah that's got to be somewhere in that the influence for sure for sure no doubt no doubt uh and not just because there's like some cool fog stuff happening in the movie literal <laughs> fog but um there's some really neat things happening here and the story you know we're getting hung up on like mood and vibe and some of the technical stuff. And yeah. I think we could probably spend an hour talking about the set design we're, and we're both dorks about that stuff. Yeah. I mean, well, it's gorgeous though. <laughs> I, I was talking with a friend of mine, um, Krissa from Scaregrounds PDX, uh, earlier today, actually via Facebook messenger about Star Trek and you know, she loves Star Trek. And now I was talking about how much I love TOS, you know, the original series and that yeah. sort of thing. And, she made some comments about, you know, Kirk kind of icks her out a little bit and, you know, that kind of ruins TOS for her a little bit. And I get that, you know, yeah. Kirk does have a, 
baggage. Uh, um, <laughs> to put it you know, and it, you know, right or wrong of the time or not, sometimes very over exaggerated. But he's a ladies' man and doesn't treat women very well. And there's, no. there's, you know, whatever. But my love for Star Trek, the original series, which is my favorite of the whole run, is the aesthetics. Likewise. Yeah, and the aesthetics of these older movies that try to imagine the future. I just love, and this one nails it for me. This is one mm-hmm. of my, I think the only thing movie-wise that kind of overshadows this for me would be the uh, four films that are part of like the Wild Wild Planet and that sort of yeah. Tim series. That, Which, that aesthetic, again, an Italian sci-fi, yeah. I love that vibe. Yeah, it's it's something, like uh, one of the first conversations we had uh, was about Invasion of Astro Monster, Godzilla vs. Monster Zero. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Also brings that that uh that future look with the uh the Exilian aliens. And you know, that that came out the same year as this movie and it's just it's just remarkable what we could dream up for what the future would look like and how boring things are now. <laughs> like White barn doors. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, you know, to go back to Star Trek again, I, I love my Star Trek. Yeah. There are some things about it I don't like, some, some series that are my least favorite, but even now, whenever they do a prequel series, they, the filmmakers, the showrunners, whoever, seem to have this need to kind of make things a little bit more sterile, a little less bright and vibrant and yeah. colorful and all that. And I miss that. I love Strange New Worlds. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't look like my original series, and that's my preference. Well, and, you know? that's, and, I, and I get it, but... I'm completely with you on that, with the... Uh, the the bright the brightness. Yeah. And the, this hopefulness, this earnestness... That comes through in every aspect of the original series. I that's also my favorite Star Trek. Um, but just like even with the movie we're talking about today, where things are designed to be dark and intimidating, there's still this vibrance uh, in the set design, like this, like on the, on the planet they're on. You have these, yeah black foreboding mountains in the background of like every shot but there's this like a vermilion sun set just over the horizon yeah and the sky is like all shades of orange and scarlet and pink and black and it's all mixed together and it's just so beautiful bright and beautiful but also intimidating as hell yeah (laughs) I uh, I don't watch a lot of movie reviews of the movies that we're going to talk about here on the show right beforehand, unless I'm just trying to make sure I get some facts down. Yeah. Uh, this time around, I did watch the Trailers from Hell episode on this, in which uh, Joe Dante talks about risking his life to see Mario Bava movies, because back then he had to go to a grindhouse or something. And yeah. I'm trying to imagine how this would have played in an environment like that, because I feel like there's so much that... If you just watch it, it's going to suck you in and you're not going to be interested in anything else going around you. Yeah. Going on around you for the next 90 minutes, you know, the, the, the hijinks and the chaos that might have happened in it. 
Grindhouse Theater, the Joe Dante felt his life at stake. <laughs> How could that happen if you're not if you're watching this movie? Because it's just so gorgeous and engaging, and you cannot. I couldn't look away. No, I could not look away, and that's why I can't do laundry while I, I watch this movie. Yeah, I I've got some laundry in my washing machine right now. I was like, I'll just hang that while I'm watching this. It's still in the washing machine. And I, you know, I'll get to it later. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had to pause it to 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 make dinner because I was going to make dinner with it on. And no, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's too good. It's too good. Um, this I'm assuming the Kino version, and I again I haven't explored it too much. Does it? It has different audio tracks. I mean, it's got this commentary tracks, but does it have something other than an English dub? Is that the only way this movie was ever released? You know, it. It does not have the Italian dialogue. I think that is because AIP um, AIP dubbed it, and the way they made Italian, yeah. uh, most European genre movies, most European movies in general at the time, they uh, record they t- recorded no audio on set, and all dialogue was done ADR uh, for yeah. the various markets. And since AIP owns the film, or I guess MGM now, or who owns MGM now? <laughs> like, who knows? So, who, what they have is the AIP English dub track because there is no technically, there is no true audio track for this movie. Wait. A lot of the um, European films, especially Italian films. Yeah. I mean, I can't, people know I love spaghetti westerns. I also have a huge love, and I don't talk about this enough, I feel like, for Euro spy films, mm-hmm. the Italian James Bond knockoffs. Uh, I love those. Ken Clark, I mm. love his stuff, you know? Yeah. Mission Bloody Mary and things like that. adore those movies. Uh, and then Spaghetti Westerns, I'm all in, man. And when I did some work with a, a local film, I guess House, they weren't really a production company, but they, they own a distributor maybe, or I don't even know what they're tech. I don't know what they were anymore. It's been a few years and things kind of went weird, but they owned so many spaghetti Westerns. And I asked them one day naively, well, are these in the original England or Italian? And we have to put subtitles on them. And they're like, oh, Derek, let let me explain to you how movie production was done in the sixties and (laughs) seventies in Italy. Uh, and yeah, it was all shot wild audio so many times, whatever actor they had to speak, whatever language you normally speak, we're going to fix it in post. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, again, it was coming for all that stuff. And it's what the Shaw brothers did too. Yeah. You know, the, the Kung Fu films, you know, they just, they couldn't stop the planes from flying from overhead. So just I'll say whatever, we'll fix it in post. Yeah. We'll cut out all the audio and just redub the whole thing. Well, and I, I remember I read an interview with Eli Wallach about working on the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah. And Sergio Leone's like obsessive care over some, what was going to be on the camera Yeah, and complete lack of care for anything that wasn't like you're, uh, you, you'd got to have lunch, find a time to eat lunch. We're shooting this. Uh, like, yeah. And, one of the things he talked about was getting used to like having to just have the beats when his scenes weren't with Lee Van Cleef or Clint Eastwood because he didn't know what language the next guy was going to be talking to him. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's why if you watch some of those movies from like the 60s and 70s, uh, especially contemporary movies, not like sci-fi or westerns, but if they pick up a phone, instead of saying hello, they'll say proceed because yeah. the, the dubbing, I don't know what the word is for, for hello, like it starts with a per sound uh-huh. for in Italian when you pick up a phone. So they say proceed to make it match the lips better when the dubbing, whatever. Yeah. It's just little things or whatever. But um, I think that kind of works in this film's benefit as well because it meant they had to go through to create a, a complete soundscape. Yeah. And as a sound effects guy, somebody who would love to get back into doing that, so any indie filmmakers looking for anybody I, I work cheap, uh, <laughs> you know, do some sound effects for you. Some of the sound effects in this are pretty cool. Uh, there, There's awesome footsteps in the spaceship. Oh, yeah. That make it sound even more vast than it already is. Yeah, it's... I loved that. Everything comes... And the crunchy, crunchy, crunchy when they're out on the planet. Yes! <laughs> they're walking around. Oh, it sounds so cool. There's, there's just so much going on in this, and it's all so well done. Uh, it's, yeah. it's if you're, if you're paying attention, it can be overwhelming, and if you're not paying attention, it makes you, it forces you with these long stretches without dialogue, but with such attention to detail in the soundscape, or just like this, the visuals just completely pouring off the screen. It's like a moving painting in some ways. Uh, this this is one that just, yeah, like you said when you saw it for the first time, totally blew me away, took me by surprise. Yeah. I'd heard its reputation, did not expect it to be up to it. Yeah. Now, I've never read it, um, but there's apparently a really good biography on Hib Melchior out there, who was screenwriter on this, yes. who had written a handful of genre flicks that... Uh, I either love or keep needing to talk about here on the show. Uh, like Reptilicus, he can decide which category that's in. Oh, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> I, I, I have some things on Reptilicus, let me tell you. you can, yeah. yeah. I'll plug my show. We did an episode with uh, with uh, Chris McDonald of the, uh, oh, what's it called now? It's called Phaser Media. At the time, it was called Ghoulish Media. Okay. Uh, but we we talked we we had some fun at the expense of Reptilicus. Uh, it's you know actually I like Reptilicus for what it is, but is it as good as this one? No, no. Uh, <laughs> but I did find it interesting that Milkyor is credited as having written some of the American script, I guess, or American mm-hmm. versions of of some early Godzilla films. Yes, like so the American that's... version of Godzilla raids again, and and um. Gigantus the Fire Monster, that's actually just Godzilla Rates again, right? Yes. So here, you, you, you woke up the, the sleeping giant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping to, man. It's your thing. It's your wheelhouse. So uh, when Toho made Godzilla Rates again, which Godzilla's counterattack, um, the guy who brought it over, I want to say it was Sam Levine, but it might not have been. Uh, but he had been involved with the original Godzilla releasing company that distributed the first one, and he thought it'd be much more appealing to American audiences to have a new monster because a seri- series of giant monster movies wasn't a thing. Giant monster movies were barely a thing. There'd been three. <laughs> like There'd been uh, like King Kong, the Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, them, and the original Godzilla at that point 
Yeah. So to bring it over, they were like, well, let's let's uh, twist it into a brand new monster movie. And they were going to call it The Volcano Monsters. Okay. And they hired Ib Melchior to write a, uh, a screenplay around the effects footage. And the story was basically that uh, a volcano went off and a T-Rex and an Ankylosaurus were awoken out of a frozen slumber. And okay. they just went ham on the world until uh, they killed each other in Japan and then got uh, covered and then got destroyed by the army. So, what? Okay. And, and <laughs> yeah. And he wrote a few new effect scenes. And so, uh, the company that was making this asked Toho, since they had the rights to distribute it, if they could have the suits so they could film some like pickups with the suits for some new effect scenes. And Toho sent the suits over, and no one has seen them since. Oh, um, yeah. Except Bob Burns, uh, who has a story about finding them in a warehouse uh, in the in the fifties. I've heard that actually, and um, and uh, he was just like, "Wow, this is Godzilla." Anyway, I'm here to do something. Uh, but so when that didn't pan out, when uh, the volcano monsters was not working out, they took elements of of Melchior's script. Um, for the the dub script, and then he also punched up the dialogue for the final dub script to get things to match better because that was kind of his specialty. Uh-huh. Um, and so yeah, he was involved with Gigantus the Fire Monster, and he'd written the Volcano Monsters, which was supposed to be how that came over here. And then he also took elements from the Volcano Monsters for Reptilicus. Okay. So he recycled some of that. And the rumor is that he had did some uncredited writing on uh, Henry Saperstein's Godzilla imports in the early 60s, but I have no no confirmation on that. I've just heard that bandied around. Okay. So yeah, there's a uh, detour over. <laughs> yeah, no, and I brought it up because I know... You know, that's, that's your bag, man. You're, yes, you're more sir. qualified to talk about it than I am, you know, with your experience and all that. But he, he had also written other things, Journey to the Seventh Planet, you know, uh, John Agar film. Angry classic. Red Planet as well. Angry Red Planet. A few episodes of the TV series Men Into Space, which I actually yes. really like. I, I keep meaning to, to, I'm trying to figure out the best way to do it, but I'd like to highlight Men Into Space on Monster Kid Radio somehow, because there's some really cool stuff in it's, there. It's a really fun one. I used to watch it uh, on Comet TV when that yep. started up. Same. Uh, it would be on Same. before Johnny Sacco and his flying robot. So I would yep. you know, get two hours of uh, Men Into Space and then Kaiju action. Yeah. So that was... It's one of the things that I miss about having having not having cable is no MeTV, no Comet. Never. Mm-hmm. And I know Comet's got a website and a Roku channel that you can watch them on, but I like the convenience of just recording it to a DVR and watching it whenever I want. So, <laughs> well, and I love—I I love, know I love to throw it on the uh, just throw it on TV. Uh, it's actually what I leave on for my dog when I go to work. Just, oh, that's awesome! So she's a uh, 
she's seen, you know, countless episodes of the X Files and Godzilla movies. And <laughs> Fantastic. Which I mean, she watches those when I'm home too. So, so, well, so you know, it's like you're home. It's like you know, I, I get that. I I set my uh, Amazon Echo to play certain playlists for when to say when I'm gone. You know, just pretend I'm still here and listen to this nerdcore rap playlist I put together. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if she really gets anything out of it or not, but it's a fun little game for me to try to guess what song is playing before I get home. So. Uh, <laughs> But speaking of music, huh? Ah, ah yes. <laughs> Gino Marinucci Jr. credited yes. as doing the music for this. And like Forbidden Planet, it's got a lot of just weird electronic sounds to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got some traditional stuff too, or, or almost traditional scoring it in as well. But I do like that mix of the the, the electronic sounds. They're just now starting to figure out how to use electronics to make weird noises for science fiction movies. So let's put it in there and make it happen, and I love it. Yes, and I I love... you. This is another thing you and I geek out about a lot is the scores for things. Um, I love how the score is used so differently in different parts of the movies. Most of the movie, it is an accent. It's yeah. not drawing any attention away. It's enhancing. But there are are times where the score really gets to shine as well. And I, I the, again, we talk the balance. Everything's so well balanced in this movie. And the score is just another example. The way the music is used, there are stretches of movie where there is no music. It is nothing but sound effects, nothing but somebody walking down a hallway, doing something funny to open a cabinet to get access to a button or a key. There are just huge stretches of nothing but these natural sounds happening. And then the music punches in and you're like, oh, okay, there we go. It's very cool and very well done. And I'm a huge fan of how it plays out. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh. Just another another thing. I feel like this whole time we've just been saying, hey, wasn't this part of the movie cool? Wasn't this part of the movie cool? <laughs> <laughs> but it was. It was. Okay. Uh, if I had to criticize anything, and, him, and I'll, I'll go there. I know it's a product of the time. There is a moment where there's a scare in a woman. Oh, thinks away because yeah. she's spooked. Yeah. Okay. There. <laughs> there's that's, there's that's my it. criticism of the movie. There we go. Some of the and hair is a little off. No. <laughs> it's it's a really good movie. It is one that I always, you know, I have a great time when it's on. Yeah. You know, I was watching it and I kept thinking, man, I'm glad I'm talking with Robert about this. I want to show it to my fiance. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think she'd take it? You know, she might get some haunted house ideas out of it. I was going to say haunted house ideas plus, you know, the production design and all that, you know, she really is keen on and, and really kind of keeps in, you know, keys in onto that. And I think the production design in this is gorgeous. Like yeah. we've been talking about. Yeah. I keep going back to those costumes too. And I'm, I was looking at them the whole time thinking, is there some way I could recreate that for one of my Hawaiian shirt designs? Because that just looks awesome. <laughs> that, 
That would be excellent. Uh, I would watch it with the the logo though. Yeah. What with Hawaiian shirts and some of their other connotations and. Oh, good call. All right, won't be doing that one. Um, <laughs> I'm also a Hawaiian you, shirt guy, so that's upsetting yeah. to me as well. So, you mentioned the logo though, and that's something. It's subtle. Very. It's something they don't make a big deal out of, but there is an internal, or yeah, an, a consistent internal wardrobe continuity in terms of what the logo or the symbol on their chests look like. The yeah. guy in charge has a bigger symbol and than the guys has... beneath him. And then there's a few people that have yeah. just the one bar across it and, you know, you know, they're lower ranking. And it's just one of those world building things that worked really well for me. And I thought that was pretty darn cool too. Yeah. And well, I that's... couldn't tell. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say that's something that you know, uh, original series Star Trek did really well as well. Like the different ships having their insignias and the bars, uh, beneath it or how they were pinned to the shirts, uh, being different for officers and Yale men. Yeah. And... Anyway. And I know they've gotten away from each ship having its own symbol and all that. I know that's kind of been retconned a little bit, but yeah, I always liked that. I always thought that was cool. So, <laughs> um, I couldn't tell with this one. In, if it was really me seeing it as a different color or if it was just blood on the uniform making it look this color. But it looked to me that the crew of the Argus all had the yellow symbol on their chest, but the crew on the other ship, their symbol was red. Did I, that read that way to you? I I saw that that way too, that it was a, like a, a reddish-orange as opposed to the yellow. Okay. Uh, it was darker. It was It was different, like... And I, that was just something I assumed, you know, like on this watch through, I was like, oh, that's right. That the, uh, the Galliot, uh, their, their highlights are red, which. I mean, I was willing to chalk it up to me being colorblind, which, yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> no, I, I got that too. Reddish orange, orange is red. Okay. Wasn't just me then. That's good to know. <laughs> no. <laughs> But that said, folks, the fact that I'm colorblind and I'm still enjoying the set design and the color and the light design and all this, I mean, come on. It's stunning. Yeah, it's it stunning. Really the cast is good. The cast is pretty good. I, I do like the captain. Yes. A lot. Um, I think the cast is solid. I and mean, everybody performs well. Everybody does what they're supposed to do. Barry Sullivan is Captain Markery. Uh, captain is Mark. Yes. He's fantastic. Um I'm not overly familiar with a lot of the cast. I'm sure I've seen him in different I. things. And I think Barry Sullivan is an American, isn't he? Yes, he is. And I, I wanted to point out that we we've made some uh, comparisons to Forbidden Planet uh, throughout. Yeah. I, I put them on the same level personally. Wow. Uh, I, may, I may even give this one a slight edge because uh, this captain is not a sexist dirtbag. <laughs> Uh, uh. <laughs> this is true he's not and like my wife and i both love forbidden planet but like on the recent rewatches we've had of it we've just been pretty much loudly booing leslie nielsen whenever he comes on 
Yeah, he's... <laughs> I mean, go back to what I was saying about Kirk, I guess. You know, punch yeah. up the time. I, I don't know, but... Yeah, there's that. But... <laughs> But yeah, I put I, I I think this is one of the best examples of you know, kind of the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties soft sci fi being serious, being able to be taken mm-hmm. seriously and being uh just compelling as hell. You know, it's good sci fi, but it's also good horror. And again, yes. that dumb Derek from God, that must have been like 10 years ago, at least at this point. Go back in time and shake that kid. Kid, I say. <laughs> the younger version of myself. Go see. I was even hanging out in the lobby with the festival director, Andrew Migliori, who will be on the show later this year. Cool. Talking with him, and he's like, Planet of the Vampire's playing. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'll just hang out. I'm only here for Day of the Dead. And he looked at me like, are you crazy? Because he was the one that programmed it. He knew. Like, he, he was right. I, I should have. I shouldn't have talked to him. I should have gone to see Planet of the Vampires. You, you repr- it was just on the other side of the door, darling. You, you reprimanded me for, for giving myself a hard time. You've got to take it easy, man. It's <laughs> it's the past. Yeah, past Derek made some pretty dumb decisions. So <laughs> I I I reserve the right to, you know, if I should have. Hey. I, I joked about this on Facebook a while back. If I had a time machine, I'd certainly go back in time and give younger Derek a talking to. Yeah, we, we've uh, all we've all done so. We've all pulled a few boners. Yeah, uh, but true. watching this, watching this, talking about this, not one of them. No, this one is so good. I I had such a blast with this. This is one of those movies, and I feel this way about you know, you know Margaritas, you know, well, well, Planet yeah. films and all that. Which uh, Gamma Four is that the name of the series? Gamma One, I think so. Yeah, that series of films. I wish there was more. I, I want there to be more. I want that to be the franchise. I love my Star Trek, don't get me wrong, and, and you know, Lost in Space has its place and a few of those others, mm-hmm. but I would have loved for this to become something. I feel like all the building blocks are there. Yeah. All the pieces well, are there, right down to the wardrobe consistencies with the ranking. You know, it's all there. Well, and again, just, it kind of it kind of did in a very quiet way. Uh, because of how much it has influenced uh, science fiction continuing to this day. True. Like True. it, it uh, it's like all those little uh, little courthouses around the country that are made to look like the one the big buildings in Washington D.C. It's like you know, without those. We uh, or without the the big ones, we wouldn't have such such nice architecture around us. Okay, I'll, I'll it give you that. Might have been a stretch. Might have been a stretch. It, it might have been, but you know, I kind of <laughs> like it. I kind of like where you're going with it. I'll I'll I'll, I'll accept it. Overruled. I don't know. Ah. <laughs> uh. It it is really good though, and it's gorgeous, and it does make me wonder who's got the rights to this at this point. Um, you said MGM and is probably well, the owner of the the film yeah. itself, but the story who owns the rights to the story it was based on? That would be interesting One night to know. Of twenty four hours by Renato Pestroniti, is that the name? Pestroniti. Pestroniti. I I don't know. 
my dog Mandy. She sat on my phone, so I can't. I'm uh, Renato Pastrinero. Pastrinerios. Okay. See, another reason why I have you on the show. Uh, uh, it was released on a double feature with Die Monster Die. Which I love Die Monster Die. I had forgotten this was released on a double feature with Die Monster oh. Die until earlier today. Oh. It's like, oh, I love Die Monster Die. I, I kind of love the colors of that one. It is so wacky. Yeah. It's got the Lovecraft thing. It's got Karloff. It's got my, you know, if you can't afford John Adams, you can't. Can't afford John Agar getting our Nick Adams. Ah, I can't even say it now. Can't afford John Agar getting Nick Adams. You know, yeah. I love my Nick Adams. Uh, yeah, he's. Uh, I'm not even going to cut that out. You know, this episode's <laughs> going out pretty much raw as it is. So, yeah. Uh, can I do a cuss? Oh no, <laughs> no, no! <laughs> but. No, I love Die Monster Die as well, uh, so much, which, you know, there's a whole thing there to, to get into. Um, the guy who worked on that, also working on the other two, Roger Corman, touched Lovecraft films. Yes. So, yeah. All right, so One Night of 21 Hours was a short story. This feels like a short story. It's got kind of like yeah. that zinger ending to it, you know. Oh, that, that twist ending. Yeah. Uh, very, very short story. Who, who, hmm. And that would be interesting. Who, who owns that? I just want to know the publication. Like, when did it come out? Because depending on how old it is, it might, or it might be public published, domain. it might be in public domain at this point, at which point yeah. I could do whatever I wanted with it. Ah. Uh, Adaptation. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So apparently an English version of the story is available as a PDF on the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Or at least on a version of the Blu-ray. That's kind of cool. Okay. I'll have to look into that. But yeah, I want to read it. I want to see if the, that twist ending is in there and what, what embellishments or changes... Bava and Company did when they worked on this. And I say Bava and Company because uh, his son worked on this movie too, Lamberto, right? And uh, if I remember right, I believe this was the first time the work, two of them actually worked together. I something. think you're right. Uh, I had looked into that and I can't remember now. <laughs> I remember reading that somewhere or hearing that somewhere. I could be totally wrong, but because I'm not cutting any of this out, Listeners, you now have a reason to call in. <laughs> Leave me some voicemail to correct me. Uh, the other name that I wanted to mention, though, real quick, Carlo Rambaldi worked on this. Yes. Did a lot of the models and such. Uh, Bob I himself worked on a lot of the special effects. Carlo Rambaldi made one of the coolest Medusas ever in a peplum film, in a sword and sandal film uh, over in Italy. Uh, he worked on... Um, Woman in a Lizard Skin, which got him in trouble yes. Uh, yes. because he had done the effect of a dead dog and the courts thought he really killed the dog, but he really didn't. But he also worked on E.T. So Yes, that's what I was about to bring up. You know, he kind of ran the gamut. And he worked on Alien, too, which, you know, he got to work on both, which is kind of cool. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, Carlo Rambaldi did a lot of really cool stuff. Um 
you know, everything from, like I said, E.T., uh, the 70s King Kong he worked on, yes. uh, the lesser of the Schwarzenegger Conan films. Uh, it worked <laughs> on some really cool stuff. Uh, the <laughs> Medusa movie I was looking for the title of because it's had a handful of different titles, and I am drawing a blank on it. But seriously, if I, it might have been the... Ooh, 63? Yeah, that's it. It's a Richard Harrison starred, starring uh, Sword and Sandal movie. Uh-huh. Um, it's had a number of different titles, depending on who was releasing it. Either called it a Hercules film or a Perseus film, uh, <laughs> depending on who had the distribution at the time. I uh, but I think it's probably best known as Medusa against the Son of Hercules. I have that somewhere in my stacks and stacks. And... The Medusa, and that is just yeah. so cool. I'll have to. I'll it have to check that so one out. So cool. I'll have. No, to. I love it. <laughs> so so cool. And I had had a chance to talk to. Him. Boy, we're all over the place, but I'll mention it anyway. If I hadn't already mentioned it on the show before, I had a chance when I was working for that film outfit here to talk to some people that were involved in some of these European films. Oh wow! Uh, became friends with Roger Brown, you know Argo Man. Yeah, who was also the president of the dubbing organization in Italy, who was responsible for putting all these movies together with English tracks. But I also had a chance to talk to Richard Harrison over the phone a couple of times. Oh, wow. Because they were friends with him as well. And I, first of all, called him Mr. Harrison, and he threatened to hang up. It's like, no, you call me Richard. All right, cool. No problem, <laughs> Richard. Felt really weird to say that, to the Richard freaking Harrison. Got to hear stories about how he lived in the house that was owned, owned by Barbara Steele, and now there were all sorts of parties that happened there. Uh, but then also I asked him about this movie, and he said that he was responsible for making sure that Medusa looked as good as it did, because the producers were like, we don't have the money for all this. So, uh, sorry, Rimbaldi, work with what you got. And Harrison's like, no, I want this to look good. So he was talking about how he put money into the production himself to make sure that the monsters looked awesome in this. And they really do. Yeah, I'll have to check this out. I'm I'm pretty sure that I have I have I have a bunch of like uh when when Mill Creek used to put out those real bad yeah. DVDs. I have a ton of those, and I'm pretty sure I saw that title uh, on the back. Yeah, of that is an adequate transfer for what it is, but because the company I was working for had the good one, you know, better transfer. <laughs> I, well, it was an Italian language release, so it was know. cut a little differently and had different dubbing on it and that sort of thing. And I think as an experiment at one point, I did try to edit the English language track onto the Italian print yeah to kind of make it to to get the english language version of it but have the better picture yeah it was crazy making because the cuts were so different Uh, there were multiple times when i was working for them when they wanted me to do that with some of their spaghetti westerns as well but for whatever reason when the americans got their hands on the spaghetti westerns they decided the seeds were out of order and started putting them in different orders and all that uh, and trying to keep track of all that was a mess. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was, I think, yeah. <laughs> I was just Ooh. reading about Synapse Films' uh, recent release of the first Blind Dead movie. Yeah. Where they did that and they said they would have stopped if they hadn't already promised that that was going to be on the disc because it was a bad decision. <laughs> because of it's just tough. what you were saying. I, I had no idea going into it. I just assumed, okay, here's your master prints, and that will just play whatever audio on top of it. No, there's yeah. many times where it's just a few seconds off here or a few seconds off there, or let's put this scene at the 
you know, the bathhouse earlier in the movie. I'm like, but that <laughs> doesn't make sense. Okay, whatever. Yeah. What are we talking about? Oh, yeah, Planet of the Vampires. <laughs> See, okay. I've made some genuine friends working on the podcast. You're one of them. I, and if we had the opportunity to get together after work over some coffee, tea, and a handful of movies, we'd get nothing else done. No. We'll watch movies and then talk <laughs> about them for just as long, if not longer, afterwards. Yeah, I, I feel bad. I was about to apologize. I feel like I always do this to you. I, nah. That's... This is fun for me. <laughs> I don't know about the listeners. Call in let me know, but... It is fun for me. <laughs> I, I was I was holding back earlier when you brought up the lesser Conan film. I wanted to. Uh, I don't know. I, I I I started a voicemail after you talked about the Conan movies, and I just kept going <laughs> on, and I deleted it um, because that that was uh, that was my Conan because I was too young to see the. Oh yeah, that makes sense. So when I could get to see the real, the good one, uh, I already had a background, but more, no more digressions, Derek. <laughs> no, you know what? No, no, that's okay. It's my show. I can digress. Here's, here's the thing. Uh, I do have a better appreciation for Conan the Destroyer now after having discussed it with Steve Turek last year. I'll give him that. I'll give Conan the Destroyer that. It's no Conan the Barbarian at all. Um, but, you know. It is what it is. It, also, uh, there are plans to have a proper Robert E. Howard episode of Monster Kid Radio in the near future ooh. Uh, with David Heath, who will be coming on to discuss it. David Heath is a, somewhat local to me, although fortunately I still only see him at various conventions. Otherwise, again, we'd have that whole we get together, talk <laughs> movies, and nothing else would get done. Uh, I will be seeing him at Fan Expo, and I hope at that point he and I can kind of firm up plans to do the Robert E. Howard Monster Kid Radio episode. Have an interesting take on it. Don't really want to get into it too much right now until I know whether or not it's actually viable, but I'm hoping it'll happen sometime this year. I'm, so. I'm excited for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My, Howard's my jam. Oh. Huh. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Howard never wrote science fiction, though. He, so, you know, get back to Planet of the Vampires. Great sci-fi, great horror. Yes. Uh, looks really good. Sounds great. I love those sets so much. The suits, the uniforms with those ridiculous collars. I love them. <laughs> and the wimples. The wimples for yes. when they put on the space helmets. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Ah. Sure, some of the effects are a little silly, like when they're looking at the communication screen, it's really just a glass window or whatever. But, you know, you do what you got to do. Yep. You make it work. And also with that, like I, I joked about that at the beginning of this. But that's still a really cool visual, this little bubble window, like... Yeah, and it's clear what it is, but also, at the same time, it's like, well, yeah, what else would it look like? You know? What? Yeah. I mean, it makes me think of... Back when I thought I'd be a filmmaker when I grew up, I, I was taking these video production courses over and over and over again at the community college, three times for credit, three more times because they got me access to the editing equipment and I didn't care about wasting my financial aid on a class I couldn't take any more credit for. Uh, <laughs> the final of the year, it was a set schedule. The, 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 what do you call them? The, uh, some, uh, whatever the class course list is, gosh, I haven't been in college in forever. <laughs> it never changed. It was always like eight different assignments every couple of weeks. First you make a music video, then you make a 
persuasion video or commercial or whatever. Uh -huh. A uh -huh. video about comparing and contra contrast. Uh, a nonverbal emotional. So tell the story without any words. Things like that. And the final of the year was always to make a mini movie. And one year, my mini movie was a little science fiction movie that I thought I could pull off in Laramie County Community College's very low budget studio and the campus. <laughs> and if I had thought to do something where they were talking to another ship through a glass sheet of you know, a sheet of glass, a window or something, I would have done it. It felt very <laughs> DIY and that always gets my blood pumping. Yes. You know, I, I didn't do that. Instead, I rolled out this TV that was clearly a TV and made pretend that they were doing a screen to screen thing, but whatever. It just looked cool. Yeah. And I loved it. And it was so neat. Um, Planet of Vampires, man, enthusiastic recommendation from both of us, I think. I don't know what else to say. Absolutely. Uh, could, could, I, I do, I do think I know what you could say. Okay. You could say, hey, Robert, let's play uh, the Classic Five. Gosh, I haven't busted out the Classic Five cards in forever. Uh, do I even know where they are? You know what? Even if I don't, I think I've got the file here. I haven't done the Classic Five on the show in a very long time either. And I was actually I, thinking about that earlier today. I know. I know. Uh, but I, it's one of my favorite parts of the show. And it's also just a fun thing, I feel like, when we do get to talk. Like, honestly, if we weren't recording this, I'd still be like, hey. Uh, <laughs> okay. Fair <laughs> enough. We'll, we'll bust out. Uh, so I don't have the actual cards in hand. I don't know where they ended up. Uh, my office is covered in a couple of Lego creations that got knocked over, <laughs> and it says oh. nothing but Lego brick and my work computer and everything I've set up to get this novel done that I'm working on. So it's it's been a mess. But I've got the original file, the master spreadsheet. The Classic Five is a game that we used to play on Monster Kid Radio every single week, and I'd like to bring it back later this year. So thank you for helping me to... Uh, grease the gears a little bit to maybe get it started again it's basically a this or that what movie do you prefer style kind of question and answer game there are no right answers there's just questions a couple of friends talking about monster movies and having a good time robert you ready to play around in the classic five? Oh yes sir derek all right now i don't know if you've done any of these i'm just gonna start picking them randomly here if we did do one if we do, excuse me, let me start that over. I'm not even going to cut that out whenever it's a raw episode. <laughs> if we do not do it. I'm recording this on a Thursday night and I want to get it out there. Uh, <laughs> I don't take time to edit. If we do a question that you know you've done, let me know and we'll go to something different. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Cool. So question number one, what classic monster movie would you show as part of a double feature with the original Godzilla? With the original Godzilla. I yeah. okay. I have a I have a couple of answers here, but I'm going to go with probably the one that will get me in the most trouble. Um, oh no! <laughs> Monster Kid Radio is a safe place. It's okay. I would show it as a double feature with Godzilla's Revenge. Um, oh, okay. That is for for a number of reasons. That is one of my comfort movies. Oh, I was. I was a tall, lanky, weird kid, and I got bullied a lot. And that movie went a long way toward helping me, you know, find my my courage and my own footing. 
Uh, so it's a comfort to me. It's also okay. Ishiro Honda has said his favorite of the Godzilla movies that he made. Really? Because, yes. Well, after the original, because yeah, yeah, it um, it was the first time he got. He said he got to make a monster movie that was about people. And uh, if you, I could go on and on and on about it. And as a matter of fact, I have. Uh, the longest episode of Record All Monsters is 90 minutes long of me talking about why I love this movie. Um, and I think because it is a reflection on how far the character of Godzilla has changed since 1954 and what Japan looks like at that time in 1969, I think it's a very good contrast, thoughtful double feature that also has uh, great music in both movies and just some ridiculous, wonderful visuals as well. Huh. I like that. I I can't say it's one of my favorite Godzilla movies. I, there's stuff in it that I like, but if I were to rank my Godzilla movies, I don't think I'd put it up very high. But, you know, that's interesting. Especially if you were to look at it through the lens of what has happened in Japan since mm -hmm. the production of the first film and all that. And that goes back to something I was talking about in last week's episode in response to some email from Kevin Slick about these movies being more than just, hey, it's a movie. It's it's a snapshot into the history and the society and the culture and what was going on at the time of the production of the film. And that's interesting. Huh. Yeah, and again, I, I talked for 20 minutes longer than the movie is about why I think... You know, hey. it's, it's, that's my answer. You know, I, I did that on 1951 Downplays with Scott and Casey many times where we talk longer than the movie itself. So I, I totally get it. <laughs> totally cool. Right on. All right. All right. Well, question number two, who's your favorite classic Scream Queen? Classic Scream Queen. Well, I mean, for, I feel like. Everyone's expecting me to say Fay Ray as the monster guy. Uh, as the giant monster guy. But I actually think I'm going to go with Barbara Steele. Okay. Uh, or am I going too classic here? No, 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 no. It's classic as defined by the players, I guess. So, yeah, Barbara Steele, Krills. Yeah. Um, she's, um, for me, I always go back to, uh, her performance in The Pit and the Pendulum. Hey. So, uh, Vincent Price. That is my favorite of the Poe Corman movies. Uh, and she's fantastic in it. Just this sneering ghost lady. Uh, it's she. She's my favorite. Okay. I've been wanting to do more Barbara Steele on the show, so... Uh... Sounds like we got a guest for one of those for for a Barbara Seal episode at some point. Oh, yeah, she's she's good. She's she good. is. I have had a chance to meet her, interviewed her uh, on stage at the Lovecraft Film Festival. Um, her son, at one point, I don't know if he still does, but her son owned a gourmet popcorn shop in Portland. <laughs> and at one point, there was rumors that she was going to move to Portland, but ultimately decided that it wasn't uh, European enough for her. So yeah, <laughs> I was like, well. You know, Portland is weird and quirky. We're not European. I'll give you that. <laughs> but that's cool. No, she's she is good, and she's she's like 
the last whore royalty we have right yeah. now. She's, you know. Yeah. Well, good stuff. All right. Uh, that was number two. Question yep. number three. Let's save this. Favorite Roger Corman film? Okay. Um, this is tough. I... My my instinct is to just go pit in the pendulum because I just brought it up. Uh, and that is way up there. Hmm. My brain is running so fast it feels like it's standing still. Like, just... <laughs> I... You know what? I'm gonna. I don't think he directed this one, but he produced it. Uh, it's the uh, his uh, is not Star Wars. Uh, Battle Beyond the Stars. Yes, that's the one. Battle Beyond the Stars. That is a movie I stumbled across on TV one night when I was a kid, and it was amazing. And. It's just one of the movies that first comes to mind when I think about Roger Corman is is that just the utility, you know, you've got a used story, you've got a used setting, you've got a previously used special effects scenes and soundtrack elements, and but it all comes together, and I think it's it's my probably my favorite, it's definitely one of my favorite Roger Corman movies. And one of my favorite Star Wars knockoffs. You say it all comes together like a plan. <laughs> and now I say that because when I first saw Battle Beyond the Stars, it was deep in my fandom of the A-Team. And I yeah. thought, ah, oh, this is the guy from the A-Team in a science fiction movie. I love this. <laughs> well, see, for me, I always go straight to Robert Vaughn. I always go, oh, yeah, oh, he's so good. It, like he's he really is playing it like a, it's the sequel to the Magnificent Seven. He like, really is. I mean, I didn't know that at the time when I saw it. I had no idea. But you go back and watch it now, knowing it's like, yeah, he just kind of played the same yeah. guy. He in knows outer exact, space. He knows exactly what's happening, and he's fine with it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I loved Battle Beyond the Stars. Yeah. I, that was a, a childhood favorite as well. All right, uh, question number four. How you know? You know what? I'm gonna pull out a question. We've probably done all the kaiju cards, but you know what? Let's see here. Let's grab one anyway. If you could have been on set during the production of a kaiju movie, which one would it have been? You know, I do think we did this one the first time uh, I was on, but I don't remember what my answer was because that was like three years ago. Uh, okay. <laughs> I think, you know, I'm going to say War of the Gargantuas. Ooh. Because, okay. one, so there would be someone bigger around to make Russ Tamblin cooperate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm six foot four, I'm 270 pounds. Like, what's he going to do? Uh, you're gonna listen to Mr. Honda. Um <laughs> but also the uh 
just the the effect sequences on that are so because they're at a, literally at a smaller scale, both in terms of the the physicality and the uh, like the stakes of the film. That just would have been fascinating to to watch uh, how that was how that was put together. Okay. And then yes, of course, to bully Russ Tamblin into cooperating. <laughs> Not the Monster Kid Radio, you know, supports such act. You know, we're, we're anti-bullying, but you know, I, I get it. All right, final question. Maybe this is unfair because it is a Bob of film as well. But which movie do you prefer, The Blob or Kaltiki, the Immortal Monster? Oh, you know, I think I think I have more fun watching Blob. Uh Partly because of that song over the opening credits. Yeah, it's um, stuck in your head right now. It, yeah, it is. I as can't soon think as you about said it the blob. Yeah. As soon as you said the blob. Uh, and also because uh, Steve McQueen, whenever we watch that movie, I, I like whenever he comes on and they're like, you're just a kid. I'm like, he's he's the teenager <laughs> teenager. Uh, just, and I, I made a, like a... a in in Canva, after I'd watched the blog, like when it was on Spengoolie or something, I I made a Tiger Beat magazine all about teen heartthrob Steve McQueen. Uh, oh, do you still have that? I'll 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 email it to you if I can find it. Oh, if you can find it, I would love to include it in this episode show notes. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I'll see if I can oh, find it. That's so cool. <laughs> So listeners, if you can find it, it'll be in the show notes. If not, just use your imagination. I bet it was amazing. <laughs> I might post it into the uh, Facebook group if I if there I find go. it. There we if go. There we go. Another reason to late. join the Facebook page. If I find it too late uh, to get it in the show notes, I will I will post it in there. In the Facebook group. Got it. Okay. <laughs> I, I love both films. I, I really do. Uh, I've been on a blob kick lately because my future father-in-law loves The Great Escape. Mm-hmm. And so we've talked about Steve McQueen, uh, that sort of thing. And also, uh, at my, my current job, I'm still in training, but you know, it's all remote work from home type stuff. And they, you know, it's an icebreaker one day is like, so I want you to look around the room you're in right now and show us the weirdest thing you have in your room. <laughs> cool. Everybody's, you know, weird pictures of their dog or, you know, weird souvenirs from whatever. And I'm like, hold on a second. I cheated. I didn't, I don't keep it in the office. I keep it in the living room, but I ran out to the living room, came back in and was like, look at this. And I held up this teeny tiny vial that I have with a piece of the original blob in it. Oh. And, uh, they asked me, where did you have to go get that? And I, I said, I keep it in the refrigerator, but they didn't get the joke. Um, because <laughs> they aren't overly familiar with the film and they're not movie nerds like I am. Um, but, uh, you know, a dear friend of mine, friend of the show, uh, even he's been on the show, gave it to me as a gift a few years ago, and it's it's one of my treasured possessions. So, but Sonny Derek, I I as soon as you said you keep it in the refrigerator, I was like, where else would you keep it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what you know. He's no longer with us, but Wes Shank, you know, before before he passed, he was the caretaker of basically the remains of the Blob, and uh-huh. he would take it to Monster Bash and all that in a bucket and show it to people, and it was made of like some petroleum products so it never dried out it was always yeah. kind of liquidy kind of gooey and gross and i probably wouldn't want to touch it but 
he kept it in a bucket. And I asked him, you know, what he does with it between shows. Where does he keep it? And he said, in the freezer. Where else? I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, that was the classic five. Oh, thank you, And Barrett. I think that is a good way to end the show. So, excellent call there. Thank you All for right, indulging so, me. Yeah, no, thank you. And I do want to bring the classic five back. I, I did talk about doing a new deck to have ready for Halloween of last year, but... 2022 was a mess, y'all. I mean, some good moments, but there was a lot of rough periods to get through as well. Yeah. And a lot of the plans that I had for 2022 have had to be shifted to 2023. And I'm trying to practice that whole allowing myself from grace and patience and and, and self-love to not get too upset about that. So uh, maybe we'll see it. This is the first time I've been on since you got engaged. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much. Um, Beth has been, Beth is amazing. I'm an incredibly lucky dude. I'm not just saying that on the off chance she listens to this. <laughs> uh, and, and there's a good chance she will, because she seems to really appreciate what I do with Monster Kid Radio, loves the show, loves what I do with it. And uh, we've got some pretty big plans for Monster Kid Radio and beyond uh, for 2023. Well, and she's been a, All uh, a charming guest on the show as well. Just... Oh, let her know you said that. You know, I appreciate that. I, I loved having her on the show and, and sharing my enthusiasm for these movies with her. I'm still going to have her watch Manos at some point. But uh, <laughs> again, I got to choose my moment, man. I got to choose my moment. You know, I, I suppose I could look at her and be like, you know, at least it's not fun in Balloon Land. <laughs> you know? Man, that song stuck in my head. Ruthless invaders, a defenseless planet. Battle beyond the stars. A lone youth escapes on a last-ditch mission that begins at the edge of the universe. story of a boy who finds more than he expected. <laughs> and all he can handle. Does your species have kissing? Oh, yes. We have that. Try one. That's a hot dog. It comes from Earth. Do you like it? There's no dog in this. Mm-mm. Soybean meal? Niacin, dextrose, and sodium nitrate flavoring. That's what we call meat back home. Battle Beyond the Stars. Starring Richard Thomas, George Papard, Robert Vaughn, John Saxon, <laughs> A battle beyond time, beyond space. I said fire!
that ends in a desperate gamble. They'll be able to board us. It won't make any difference. Get that hatch open! No! Battle Beyond the Stars. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Once again, I know I say this every week, and I mean it every single week. Thank you for listening to the show, for downloading the show, maybe throwing us a review or a retweet or a share on Facebook, spreading the word, letting people know about what we do here in our teeny tiny corner of the internet, talking about these classic monster movies. We're not so classic monster movies, but specifically about the love that we have for these movies. That's something that I think has really kind of evolved uh, with Monster Kid Radio over the years that I've really seen the show become less about let's really get into the nitty gritty and the who's and the what's and the why's and all that of the movies and really just celebrating the fandom of these movies. Sure, we'll drop some knowledge. We'll, we'll go through some trivia and talk about who's in a movie or who directed what or how the movie came to be. But really, Monster Kid Radio is about celebrating these movies, except for Fun in Balloon Land and that, those are my favorite episodes to produce. So, Robert, thank you for being part of it. And again, listeners, thank you for being part of the experience as well. Everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio, you can find on our website at monsterkidradio.net, where you're going to find links to our Twitter page, our Facebook group, our Facebook page, our Discord, our Patreon, our Reddit, our Twitch channel. Everything's over there. If you need anything Monster Kid Radio between episodes, that's where you're going to want to go. And I did say at the top of the show, I'm going to say it again now, you can find our contact information over there. Our voicemail line is 360-524-2484. Emails monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Would love to include some future feedback from you in a future episode of Monster Kid Radio. Also over here, we've got a whole bunch of links to everything that Mark Metzke's up to. Got to, you know, support the guy who's supporting us for the Beta Capsule Review, which is one of my favorite things. And we have a few other links. Links to my eBay page. I'm going to start listing some new things on eBay here over the weekend and early next week some more monster magazines and other goodies will be available to you there tinyurl.com slash mkr ebay there's also a couple of new hawaiian style shirts available the monster kid radio flying saucer logo hawaiian shirt and then the crestwood house monsters tribute hawaiian shirt are available to you as well sizes go up to 6x 35 dollars that includes shipping in the u.s Get yourself some cool merch and help support Monster Kid Radio along the way. What's coming up next week on the show? There's a couple of things that could happen. One of them is kaiju-sized. One of them smells like Steve Sullivan. Uh, I'm not sure which one I'm going to go with yet, especially since I haven't reached out to Steve Sullivan yet. But uh, I got a couple of things that I'd like to do in the next couple of weeks of Monster Kid Radio. Once again, best place to keep up to date with what's coming up on Monster Kid Radio is on Facebook. Our Facebook page and our Facebook group, I try to post announcements there with what's coming up on future episodes of MKR as soon as I figure that out. So stay tuned over there or just keep subscribed or dialed in or liked or notified or whatever it is the podcatcher that you use to listen to Monster Kid Radio lets you do to stay on top of everything Monster Kid Radio. Just keep dialed in because we'll be back again in about seven days. Until then, until then, remember, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. 
My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week when we talk about something with somebody. Ciao.